Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. One of the difficulties that most people have, and Christians included, is that the image of God is really quite messed up. When we look at the history of how people see God, it's a lot of times just a big, bad man who's looking to find any problem with us that he can and punish us for whatever those problems might be. That is not the image of God that Grace Intersect brings to you. Grace Intersect finds God to be a God of love and a God who loves us so much that he's wanting to have a relationship with us, a loving relationship. And in that, he has granted us grace beyond our comprehension that will allow us to come into relationship with him. Once again today, we have the privilege of having my wife, Paula, join us. Thank you for joining us today, Paula. Thank you for asking me. You have mentioned many times in our relationship over the last 30 plus years, how you have struggled at times with your image of God. And I think the experience that you have is not gonna be too unusual. I think a lot of us have similar experiences. And I'd like for you to share that. Well, I think the biggest turning point probably in my spiritual journey It was maybe 15, 20 years ago, and it was changing from exactly what you're talking about, this image of God as someone that I never could live up to his standards. I was always disappointing him. I felt like I was constantly failing. I was a perfectionist. I I needed to, to, to perform better for him. And once that image of God was contradicted by the Holy Spirit and by Scripture, my whole spiritual journey turned around. I'm kind of curious about why you think you had that. Was that a personality trait or is this something that was kind of encouraged by people around you? Or did you find yourself quite competitive and you had to kind of be better than other people in the same field? Where does this performance desire come from? I think for a lot of human beings, it's simply an innate part of who we are because we always want it to be about us somehow. (laughs) I mean, I just think as human beings, we're wired to want life to be about us and to want to conquer it and want to prove ourselves. I think that's there. You know, we could spend a whole lot of this podcast with me going a little deeper into how my religious experiences at church and my family system and the schools I went to, we could go into that in depth, but I don't really think that's the goal today. So, Well, I think we kind of wonder about things like that. And I agree with you that most of the time it is an innate part of who we are. We are wired as humans to want to have acclimation, applause. We want the attention. We like the idea that somebody appreciates who we are or what we're doing, and we feed that. And our ego is satisfied to some extent with it. But is it ever satisfied sufficiently? Did you ever find yourself settled with that? I think when we're performing to build our identity or to hang on to our identity, the problem that we fall into is pride and despair. So when you think you do well, maybe you get a little into yourself and puffed up with pride. But then when you fail, it's a a swirling down into despair. So to me, that lifestyle that I was describing was a lot of pendulum swings between 
ups and downs. But honestly, I think a whole lot of it for me was feeling down, feeling discouraged about who I was, feeling not good enough, inadequate, like a failure. That's where performance got me. So how much of your identity do you think was really wrapped up into this? Was it a significant part of it or was it just kind of part of you that was frustrating here and there? I think it was significant. And I think religion and my family system growing up fed into it. So you think it was a major issue in your growing up life? I think it was a major issue into my adulthood until God got a hold of me. So you're saying that it was a significant part of your identity. Who you saw yourself to be was measured in large degree by how well you performed. Yes. And you just said that God got a hold of you. In what way are you referring to that? I could probably give a million examples. One that comes to mind quickly is when I was the mother of little ones and trying so hard to hold it all together and to do everything right. I remember flopping down on the bed one afternoon while the kids were napping and just saying to the Lord, I give up. And at that point um, in my journey, I don't think I heard God's voice clearly very often, like where I would say, oh, God said this to me, but I swear that I heard him go, it's about time. (laughs) So I think that was kind of the beginning of my awakening. But I went through some spiritual counseling, really intense prayer time. And during that time, I came to see and to understand that I had never understood who God really was because not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It was all about him and what he did. And I was still trying to make it about me and what I did. I think that's where we have a lot of trouble with grace. It is so completely finished in Christ and we still want it somehow to be about us. So you're suggesting that if you did not perform well, that you would not be pleasing God somehow, that there are certain things that you should have done or should have done better to please him, to make him feel like you were worthy of his acceptance. Yes, I think that I lived constantly needing to be perfect, not just for God, but for the people in my life, for my children, for my parents, for my husband. I just had this pressure to always be the good little Christian and to do it right. And while I was always being kind and never losing my temper and all these things that I thought a Christian should be on top of that, then there was that need to perform and whatever I, and that itself is performance, but also, I mean, whatever I did do well, whether it's singing a solo at church or in my job or whatever, I wanted to be successful on top of that. Would you say that your primary motive in all of that was for yourself or for God or just kind of 50-50? How would you have measured that? At the time, I would have told you I was determined to please God. And really, I could not. The way I was wired, the way I thought about God, I would not have been able to separate that for you, 50-50 or whatever. Because in my mind, I existed to please God. And yet you felt like a failure. And I felt like I never could please him. 
When you felt like a failure, was were you failing because God was too demanding and too perfect and you couldn't achieve what he desired of you? Or was it because you couldn't give enough to satisfy yourself to please him? I think at the time, I was really just down on myself that I couldn't do it well enough. I couldn't please him. Now, another problem that I had is I didn't think it was okay to get mad at God. I didn't think it was okay to question God. And now I think he can handle all that for me. So there was a transition period where some of that struggle started to look differently. But it it didn't really transition into the real kind of raw conversations I needed to have with God until he broke through to me. And I would say the scripture that broke through the most to me is Romans 8.1. And it says, I don't remember which version I memorized it in, but it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I had been in an intense prayer session where I had confessed my pride and my need to perform. And I had dealt with some unforgiveness and some confusion in my life. And that prayer time ended with me seeing this scripture and just bawling because I had never understood that in Christ, because another scripture says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I had heard those scriptures before. I'd grown up quoting scripture my whole life, but I could not see myself as Christ's righteousness. I just saw myself, my label, even though on the outside, I looked pretty successful in the work that I did and my kids and whatever. My identity was really wrapped up in the word failure and not good enough. And I was failing God in my mind. So I lived constantly under condemnation because I was constantly failing. So once that scripture came alive to me, the very next morning, I woke up and I just heard in my head, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And I thought, oh, that's in the Bible. I know that's in the Bible somewhere. And so I jumped out of bed. I found my Bible. I found that scripture. It's in Galatians. And the rest of the scripture says, therefore, do not return to a yoke of slavery. And for me, slavery was constantly being controlled by this sense of needing to perform for people and for God. And that kept me in a constant bondage of pride and failure. Do you think that this was an epiphany kind of an experience or was it more of a processing that relatively suddenly came alive for you? I think I had been asking God to help me and crying out for help because I knew that I was headed down a bad path emotionally. And I think God answered the prayer. I don't think it was processing. I think it was scriptures I had heard over and over in my past that I had blinders on because I was so wrapped up in the mentality that I was raised with that I could not see the truth of the scripture. This was coming off of a weekend, literally two or three days of intense conversation and prayer and spiritual support to help me deal with some of the things I was struggling with in my life. It was like until I confronted the things that were keeping me blind, I couldn't see. And then once those blinders were removed, things just opened up immediately in a new way that I hadn't seen before. Okay, let's get a little weird here. 
Before I went away for this spiritual retreat that I'm talking about, there was definitely spiritual attack as I was preparing to go into this. And I had been a Christian since I was seven years old and a sincere Christian since seven. It was real to me at that young age. But the the night before I left for this spiritual thing, I woke up and I was dreaming that demons were choking me. I literally was in a spiritual battle before I ever got to this retreat. And I really believe that the Lord went in and cleaned out some places, some strongholds that the enemy had in my life. I don't know that I believe that Christians are possessed. That's not really what I'm saying. But here's how someone explained to me their best way to explain to me what happened to me that weekend. They said, it's like when you have a wound and the wound is not cleansed appropriately before the scab comes. And so instead of scabbing over and becoming, you know, like new skin, like God does with our body, which is amazing that so often we can have what looks like a pretty big scratch or wound of some sort. But over time, you look down and your skin is healed and it looks normal again. Or maybe you have a scar, but it's still, it's not pus and it's not festered. But what I believe happened to me is as I, we all face wounds in life, And as I faced wounds in life, I didn't have a clear understanding of God to help me deal with those wounds. And so I believe that the enemy of my soul infected my wounds. The spiritual counseling that I got that weekend helped me walk through identity issues. It helped me walk through forgiveness issues. It helped me walk through pride and fear and rebellion several different things. The work that I was going through was related to work done by Neil Anderson. So if anyone's ever read any of his books, that's where it came from. But on the other end of that process where I was just praying and asking God to step in and set me free and surrendering to his direction and leading, I became able to hear the Holy Spirit in a way I had not heard him before. It sounds to me like there was a period of time leading up to this when you were knowingly dissatisfied with your spiritual condition. You didn't necessarily know exactly what was unsettling, but there was something. Yeah, I was getting lost in a lot of self-hatred because I had made a lot of vows as a child and as a young woman that I would be the perfect mother, that I would not ever yell at my kids, that I would never hurt them. And as I made those vows and hung on to them into adulthood, I set myself up to never, ever being able to live up to that because you can never be that. Yet that's what I was still striving for. And so every time, as you well know, we had four children in six years. (laughs) So we've got all these kids close together, all different personalities, lots of energy in our home, three boys back to back. I was not always the calm, cool, collected mom that I wanted to be, and I hated myself for it. I was really getting lost in self-hatred because I felt I was failing as a mother, and that was driving a lot of this, as were some other relationships in my life that I was trying to process. So how foundational was it, maybe during the time of this retreat or after some time, how foundational was it to see a different image of God than what you had been seeing before? Was that a significant part of you being able to see? If you have always felt like a failure, like if that is at the core of your identity, if you always felt that you weren't living up, and then all of a sudden you know 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your life is changed. The process continues from that point. But when you have that as a concrete thing within you, life becomes different and you have aha, 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 aha moments over and over. It just, it was like scripture opened up to me. It was like books opened up to me. It was maybe for the next five or 10 years, I had just a voracious hunger to know Christ and to know grace and to try to process away from the old thinking and discover who he was. And during that time period, it was not unusual for me to spend two, three hours in the morning just with him, seeking to understand grace, seeking to know who he really was. There were several like little epiphany moments that built on this foundation and this idea of freedom like, it's for freedom that God set me free. He didn't want me to go back into the bondage of slavery. And for me, that slavery was the bondage of failure and performance. And it was rooted to a large extent in your image of him not being a loving God, or at least not loving enough to not be afraid of some punishment or some condemnation. When that became clear to you that he was a loving God, not looking how to punish you, but how to deliver you from condemnation into freedom, then your life was changed. You know, it's so crazy because as a child, a lot of times when you're in church, the first Bible verse you're taught is God is love. And so it was so weird because if you had asked me, does God love you? Oh, yes. What's the first song you sing? Jesus loves me, this I know. Oh, yes, God is love and Jesus loves me. But there was something deep inside of me that still was receiving that love in a conditional way. I remember one time after I started having this epiphany of uh, no condemnation and all those things, like I had blown it. I think I had put something on the credit card that I shouldn't have. And it was something we couldn't pay off. And I was feeling so guilty. And I remember I'm journaling and I'm, oh God, I'm so sorry. And I'm just writing these paragraphs of confession for my sin of overspending. And the Lord just stopped me. And he said, Paula, do you really think I didn't know you were going to do that? Well, no, you know everything. Okay, well, I'm not up here wringing my hands about this. I'm not really too upset about it. Knew it was going to happen before it happened. Just accept my forgiveness and let's move on. And that message was given me over and over. And one of the, one of the ways that I got that message is uh, one day I opened the refrigerator and we had all of these leftovers in, you know, Tupperware containers. And it was just chaotic, a chaotic mess. And this Tupperware of peas fell out on me. And it made me so angry. I felt so out of control of trying to clean up this mess that I flung this Tupperware across the kitchen floor. Of course, the lid popped off. So now we have chartreuse peas making a sticky mess skittering across the kitchen floor. I was horrified at my lack of self-control. And what made it worse is that just that moment, our oldest son, Seth, 
who was pretty small then, maybe five, seven, I don't know, walks in the room and I see that he saw me lose my temper. And of, of course, I've been teaching him he shouldn't, right? And I start crying and I'm saying, oh, buddy, mom, mama's so sorry. You know, I just, this isn't how Jesus wants her to act. And I'm so sorry that you saw that. And I was just crying and crying. And he just looked at me, shrugged his little shoulders, very pragmatically said, just ask Jesus to forgive you, mom. He will. And that message was given to me over and over in this new journey of trying to come out of this overemphasis on my failings. And, you know, when you overemphasize your failings and when that's where you're focused, you do it again quickly because that's where you're focused. But there's another scripture that says, keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. I started learning instead of going into these cycles and I was in cycles of guilt and shame and condemnation and swirling down and feeling bad about myself. I started learning to forgive myself when I blew it. And I started saying, okay, got to keep my eyes on Jesus. He gave me this faith and he's the one who is changing me from the inside out. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not a failure. And I'm going to look at him instead of my faults. Later, um, when the kids were older, I took one of them to a driver's ed and they had a little parent meeting and they gave an illustration, which to me was this in a perfect illustration. They said, we've taught your kids that if they start to slide in mud or snow, that if they look toward where they're sliding, like toward the ditch they're about to go into, that's where they'll go. But if they look ahead on the road to where they want to go, that's where they'll go. Their hands will automatically right themselves and steer them into safety. And I just sat there thinking, Lord, that's what you've been showing me. When I look at my failures and my faults, that's where I go. But when I put my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, then that's the direction I head. And we can do that with so much confidence because we trust his love. When we trust ourselves, we fail too often. When we look to him, and we're looking to him as the God he is, a God of love, who loves us beyond anything we can even imagine, and has been willing to provide a way of a grace for us to come into relationship with him. All of that stuff just changes how we see life, because we're seeing God as love, and we're in relationship with that loving God. You know, we're almost out of time, so I want to leave you with a story that I think illustrates what you just said. When I was discovering Christ's love, I did a pretty intense study on the Song of Solomon. And there are people who say that the Song of Solomon is for God and Israel. There are people who say, no, it's just Solomon and his love for this woman he's writing about. And there are other people who say the Song of Solomon is a picture of Jesus and his love for his church and his bride. And scripture says we're the bride of Christ. And I take that very personally. Like I am the bride of Christ, not just the whole general church, but in a personal sense, I can have that relationship with Christ. So I was doing a really intense study. And part of what I often did as I was working through this study is I would take the concepts and I would turn it into a little vignette, a little story about Jesus and me and how we were relating. And I don't remember which part of Song of Solomon this story relates to, but I was imagining wanting to be with Christ and dance with him and be in his arms and be loved by him. 
Yet I saw myself with my head bowed in shame and feeling unworthy and feeling like if I lifted my eyes and looked in his face, I'm going to see disappointment. It, it wasn't always judgment or condemnation. Sometimes it was just disappointment. And I felt like I was going to look up and I was going to have let him down again and he was going to be disappointed in me. So I'm standing before Christ and I'm writing this out in my on my computer or in my journal. I don't remember where. But as I'm writing, the whole picture just changed in my imagination. And I really believe this was the Holy Spirit. But I saw Jesus reach down and touch underneath my chin and lift my gaze to his eyes. And when he lifted my chin so that I could look him directly in the eyes, there was nothing but absolute, sheer, unconditional love and adoration. And I think that's the journey that we're on, really, is to come to the place where that's not just a casual or one-time or deep experience, but it's a lifestyle where we know that at any moment we can look our Lord in the eyes and instead of rejection or condemnation or disappointment or whatever our favorite shame response is, we can always know that it is pure, unconditional love and adoration that our God has for us. Toward the beginning of this episode, you talked about how we like to make things about ourselves, and that's our focus. What's really kind of interesting is, from what you've just said, it, it strikes me that it really is about us, only it's about us from his perspective, not ours. Look what he did for us. Look how he sees us. Look how he accepts us. Look how he loves us. So it is about us, but not from us. It's from him. So that's where we get our new identity. That's where we get our relationship. Right. Not from our performance, but from his love for us. Thank you, Paula. Love you, honey. Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know your thoughts and questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.